there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting the master's possessions. So the master called the manager in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. He replied, he told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Luke 16 is, by and large, considered the most confusing, strange, odd parable in all of Scripture. Because you are left wondering, what is Jesus really getting at here? Because is he saying that being... Shrewd. Is he saying that being dishonest is good? How did the manager make that money? Those deals, were those his deals to make? How did this happen? Is Jesus telling us to be dishonest with what we have? What's going on here? But here's the thing. we got to step back and remember what we're dealing with. We're dealing with parables. And again, I work with children, and we talk about parables. We were talking about parables a few months ago. And whenever we talk about parables, we say that they're little stories, a little story. Maybe it's about a manager and a master and some money. Maybe it's about a field. Maybe it's about some wheat or some wheat and weeds. Maybe it's about some seeds being scattered. It's a little story, something simple, something relatable, something that people would understand and know. It's a little story that tells us something big about who God is, about what his kingdom is like, and what we are supposed to be like as members of his kingdom. Little story, big truth. That's what you need to know. And the big truth here, here's the big truth. Use what you have to grow God's kingdom. Use what you have to grow God's kingdom. We're going to unpack this parable together and see what it means, what it has for us, and what God has for us, what that big truth is, and how we're going to apply it to our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for these stories, these parables, these pictures of your kingdom, these pictures of what you desire us to be like. So, Lord, as you give us this example of a dishonest man who did something that was shrewd, as a reminder to tell us to say, you need to be shrewd with what you have and win friends to the kingdom of God. So, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to understand. Help us to follow you and to worship you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start with the parable. Let's unpack this story. So we start with a manager, a manager, a man. And he's managing a master's resources. Now, when we start with parables, a lot of times we want to identify who is who. Is the manager God? There's a lot of arguments. Is the manager, or is the master God? Is the manager us? Who is this person? And the reality in this parable, it's not really, you know, it's not really an equation to be made. It's not really us and God, or the manager isn't supposed to be like you or me. It's a story to tell us a big truth. So at the beginning, we have a master and a manager. 
And the master hears word that the manager's been misusing his money, misusing his funds. We don't know how. Jesus doesn't tell us. But the master goes and tells the manager, hey, you're fired. I've been hearing some things about you. So you're going to give an account of what's been going on. You're gonna, by the end of the day, I want you to turn in your books. It's over. You're done. You can no longer manage my accounts. You can no longer manage my estate. So it turns back to the manager. And the manager is worried. He's concerned. He's freaked out because this is what he does. He is a manager. That's what he does with his living. And so he starts to think. He starts to wonder, what am I going to do? What's next for me? Any of us ever been fired from a job? What am I going to do next? I mean, I can't, I, I'm not strong enough to dig. I can't just go get a construction job. That's not what I can do. I mean, I think about myself. If I got fired, I could not do a construction job. Look at me. I'm so frail but, and weak. And he's this, this guy is saying, I can't do that. I'm too proud to beg. I can't just go on the street and beg for money. That's not what I'm going to do. I'm not desperate enough for that. And he's just concerned and, you know, he's sweating it out. And all of a sudden, the light bulb turns on. Bing. I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do. I'm going to make friends so that when I turn in the books, when the master cuts me my last check, those friends that I make will welcome me into their house and perhaps give me a job. And so he starts to call in the master's accounts because he still has the books. He still has the power because the, it's not public yet. If these guys knew, if these account holders knew, if these debtors knew that the manager had been fired, they probably wouldn't come. Because they, knew, they would know that this guy doesn't really have the authority to make such a deal. But since they don't know, the master has not made it public, he calls in the debtors and they come in. And he says, come on in, come on in. Great to see you. Hey, I've been talking with the master and we want to give you a great deal. We want to give you a little discount here. You've been a great client of ours, so come on in. What's your bill? Whoa, 900 gallons of oil? That's quite a bit. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to take your bill, cross out 900, write 450. And you imagine, imagine owing. That was in a tremendous amount of oil. A tremendous amount of money is tied up in there. And you think if that bill was cut in half, think of a huge bill in your life. Something big, or like your mortgage, and you went in, your mortgage officer said, hey, you know what? Cut that in half. You'd be pretty. I would, you'd be dancing. You'd be celebrating. You'd be shooting off those party popper things. It'd be crazy. And they got, are you kidding me? Thank you. Yeah, of course. He scratched out hurriedly, right? This is real, right? Yeah, it's real. Of course. Yes, the ma- we talked about it. I, you know, I, I care about you. You're a great customer. I put, you know, I put in a good word with you with the master. Wow, thank you. And as that debtor is on the way out the door, the manager says, hey, remember, don't ever say I never did anything for you. One friend. One friend. One more friend that he didn't have moments before. The second guy comes in, second debtor. Hey, great to see you. How much do you owe? I owe a thousand bushels of wheat. Wow, that sounds like a lot of wheat. How about this? Master and I have been talking. Cross that out. Cross that thousand out, write 800. Again, excited, thrilled. Thrilled on the way out. Thanks for all that you did. Thanks, manager. Hey, you owe me one. And he leaves. And in the end, here's perhaps the surprising part. In verse 8, it says, The master commended 
the dishonest manager, because he had acted shrewdly, it works. It pays off. And now there's a lot, a lot, a lot of debate about what's going on here. What kind of deal? Is he able to make this deal? Is he just, is he being more dishonest? Is he stealing more from the master? Is he taking more of what doesn't belong to him to make these deals? And the master is kind of saying, you know, kind of with a wink, great job, you got me there. Or is he, some people think that he's taking out of what already belongs to him. Maybe he's taking a cut from his own commission or using some of the interest that was accrued and waiving some of that, which he would, as the manager in that position, have the authority to do. And the master is saying, great job. You know when it's time to make money and when it's time to make friends. There's a lot of debate about this. And I spent a lot of time this week trying to figure out, what is it? Which one is it? But I came to realize as I read it over and over and over again, that it doesn't really matter. And if it did matter, Jesus would tell us. Jesus would tell us why. So here's the thing about parables. They're stories that teach us something. Little stories teach us something big about God. And Jesus unpacks it for us. He says, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus says, at the end of the day, this, mass, this manager used the worldly wealth, the authority that he had, the books, everything, every resource at his disposable, disposal to make friends so that he could land on his feet and be all right. And Jesus says, for you and for me, Use what I've given you to make friends for my kingdom so that when it's over, you will be welcomed into my kingdom by those friends. And when you read this, you look at this manager, I start to think, you know what? Cheaters sometimes prosper. Cheaters sometimes prosper. This guy was dishonest. He was fired for being dishonest. And yet, in the end, he lands on his feet. He probably has a new job, or at least he's been welcomed in the household of these other debtors. He's fine. And when I think about that, I don't like cheating. I don't like cheaters. I used to run middle school ministry, and every week, as a middle schooler, it is required, it's written somewhere, that you play dodgeball. Okay, you play dodgeball. That's what you do. I don't do that with children because I can't not throw as hard as I can, and that really hurts kids. But with junior hires... They love, they love to cheat at dodgeball. That's the thing they love. Because you'll watch them. They get hit, and they, they freeze up for a second, and they kind of look around, see if anyone saw them. Because when you hit, you're out. But they get hit, look, no one saw me, stay in and throw. And it drove me crazy. And I would call them, hey, you're out, get out, off, 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 off. You know, that's what I would do, because I can't stand the cheaters. But in this thing, we see that the manager who's a cheater, he prospers, he's fine. Nothing really bad happens to him. He loses one job and moves on to the next. Not a big deal. And I'm reminded that sometimes we have, we, ha- we also are cheaters. We also are cheaters and we prosper because we realize when we read the story that not everything that we think is ours actually belongs to us. The resources at our fingertips that we happen to have, whether it's money or just cool stuff, 
or houses or cars or whatever it is, a job, they're not re- they don't belong to us. And the manager reminds us, sometimes we have access, we have access to things that don't belong to us, but we want to use them for our benefit. And Jesus keeps turning that on its head. He turns it on its head. He says, make friends. Christians should do the very same. The people of this world are better at that than the sons of light. So Christians should do the very same. But we don't always do it. We don't always take advantage of what God has given us. He says, make friends for yourself. Make friends. What we're talking about there is winning people to God's kingdom. It's not making a bunch of friends so you can have a bunch of friends. It's making friends so that they might be saved. They might follow God. They might worship God. And so in the end, when you arrive in heaven, you show up at the gates, those friends that you made welcome you in, celebrate with you, say thanks. Thanks for using what God had given you to bring me into this kingdom, making a friend. And it talks about this worldly wealth. And I love that phrase. In some, it says the wealth of unrighteousness. Different uh, translations say different things. But worldly wealth kind of captures it perfectly. Because here's what the reality is. Everything that you have, money, your job, your house, your stuff, everything that you own, that you hold dear, that you think is important, it's just in this world. So one day... We'll all die unless the Lord returns. But when we go into glory, when we go and enter into the kingdom of God, when we exit this world and enter into the world to come, we're not taking it with us. You're not going to go to heaven and there's going to be an ATM with all the stuff that you had from earth. It's worldly. It's not worldly in that it's bad. It's worldly in that it belongs to this world. This, this parable draws a lot of comparisons from this age in the Bible and in theological terms. We talk about this present evil age. Just this current world. The world that we live in. Where things happen. And all these other things. It belongs to this world. But there is an age to come. Where we will live on a new heaven. New earth. Where Christ will reign eternally. Where we will stand in the presence of God eternally. And that wealth that we have now, it doesn't go there. It doesn't belong there. It belongs to this world. So remember, with whatever you have, it's just, it's, it's for here. That's it. You don't take it with you, it's gone. And one day we leave an inheritance. The Bible talks about leaving inheritance for our children and that's good. But in the end, everything will be gone. It's all gone. One day it will all be gone. The second thing about worldly wealth is reminding us this wealth of unrighteousness is a good way of describing this too, is it's not something that we have earned on our own. All right? It is everything that we have, remember everything that we have is given to us by God. When we talk about taking an offering and giving, we're talking about, we always talk about God has given us and we're giving, we're, when we give an offering and we worship through giving, we acknowledge, God, it's actually yours. You gave it to me. So I'm given a little piece to acknowledge that it's yours and that it belongs to you and that you gave it to me in the first place. And here's the problem that we kind of run into, especially in, this, in our culture, which is relatively affluent, relatively affluent. Overall, we're the, you know, the richest people in the world And that varies a lot in this room even. 
But we start to think, I've, this, is, this stuff's mine. I've earned it. I went to school. I got degrees. I worked hard. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I did all these different things that it belongs to me. It's mine. And when we start to think about that, I mean, I've heard that so many times. And I think that a lot of times myself. I earned it. But we remember that it's only because God is gracious and that he blesses us that we have what we have. Because we all know plenty of people that work plenty hard, that do plenty of pulling themselves up by their bootstraps and never seem to have as much. It doesn't seem to equate with how hard they work. It doesn't seem to, the math doesn't quite work out. And we remember it's because God is the one that gives us everything that we have. It's not ours. It's not ours. It's God's. And we should praise and honor God and thank God for what we do have. But when we hold on to it so incredibly tightly, we forget it's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. And you know what? We can't even take it with us. You could spend your whole life earning and earning and earning and working and working and working. And one day you'll die, and it's just gone forever. You'll never touch it again. And when you're in heaven, when you're with Christ, you won't care about it anymore. You won't be, man, I wish I worked more and longer and made more money. No, it's gone. It's all gone. Because cheaters sometimes prosper. God has given us stuff that God has given everything that you have. It's not despite how much work you do. It's because God gave it to you. And he loves you. And he cares about you. And he loves to bless his people. And that's good, and that should be celebrated. Remember, it's God. It's all God. So God, Jesus says here, make friends. Make friends with what you have. So a lot of you are asking, how do I do that? How do I actually go out and make friends? I have, some, I have resources. Maybe you have a great house that you can entertain in. Maybe you've got some disposable income. Whatever. You have all sorts of things at your disposal that God has blessed you with. And he says, make friends for the kingdom. How do I do that? Well, I was thinking about someone who does this. And it's my friend, Justin Mendiola. We have some pictures, a great picture of Justin coming up. Uh, That's Justin. Maybe you know him. He works in our youth department. He works with uh, kids. And he is a great counselor and leader. Okay? He's amazing. And he loves to do exactly this, to use what is given to him. He also likes to fish, as you can see. I was trying to find a picture of just him. All of them had fish in them. So, <laughs> Justin loves to take, he's, he works for the Alameda County Coroners, and he has some disposable income, and he's single. Ladies. <laughs> but what he loves to do is he loves to give the kids that come into his group an incredible experience that they get to experience God through just his generosity. And of course, that's always paired with him telling them about Jesus and about the gospel and about how much God loves them and cares about them. And what he loves more than anything, his favorite time of the year, he prepares all year for this, is summer camp. So he works with the high school students and they go to Hume Lake Christian Camps. And they have a spirit day at Hume Lake because they have a theme every year. And it's theme like cowboys or the circus, something kind of tongue-in-cheek and fun and crazy. And they have spirit day where you dress up as the theme and you do something wacky and you get points and people go nuts. And Justin loves spirit day more than any other day of the year. And what he, he loves to buy his guys elaborate 
uh, costumes and do something crazy and give them an unforgettable experience. So the first, we have some pictures of camp. This is from a lumberjack theme, so you can see they're all wearing like kilts and fake muscle suits. <laughs> and we have another one coming up. This is from, it was a cowboy themed year, so we bought them all Dallas cowboy uh, helmets and cowboy cheerleader outfits for his guys. There's a formal night, so we bought them all the tuxes from Dumb and Dumber, the, the uh, you know, baby blue and orange tuxes. They're all like, look at those. Look at those fine gentlemen. We have another one from, uh, it was a, I, I'm not sure what this theme was, but he got them all Santa and reindeer outfits. So there was 12 reindeer and some elves and things like that. And lastly, there was a circus-themed year. So he bought a Volkswagen Bug. And they spray-painted it, and he piled his whole cabin into it, and they drove up to the wreck field, and all these clowns came piling out (laughs) of this car. And throughout the year, he likes to post pictures of all the boxes he's accumulating of stuff, getting ready for camp. So that's, that's his boxes. He's getting ready for camp. That's from this year. And here's the thing. You might be thinking, does Justin just have a job so that he can buy all the stuff for his kids? Yes. The answer is yes. Because Justin, here's what Justin wants to do. And some of us are thinking, wow, this is not just so elaborate and frivolous and things like that. But here's the thing. Justin loves the kids that he gets to work with. He loves them. Justin also loves Jesus. He loves God. He loves the gospel. And he loves seeing his students encounter and meet Jesus and give their lives to the Lord. And so to do that, one of the ways he does that is he's just generous with what God has given him. Justin knows this stuff doesn't belong to me. This money that God has blessed me with doesn't belong to me. A lot of people are like, couldn't you save all that money and buy? Sure, he could do all sorts of different things with it. But he is going to make friends for God's kingdom through what God has given him. And I'll tell you, this strategy of buying elaborate costumes has worked. Throughout, that's, I think that might be half of the photos I have of their, the years at camp. There are so many kids that go into there, and they have this incredible week, and it changes their perspective about what church is like, about what Christians are like, what God is like. And they meet Jesus for real. And they give their lives to Jesus forever because Justin was willing to spend a little bit of money on them and tell and share Jesus with them and say, I love you. I want to make friends for God's kingdom. And it's amazing. We have a couple pastors on staff, Pastor James Tyler, Pastor Austin Foxworthy. They were in one of those pictures. They were in a Vikings. Uh, I actually didn't include that one. They were dressed up as Vikings cheerleaders, but they had incredible experiences with Justin. Because Justin realizes, I've got worldly wealth. I've got this at my fingertips. God has given it to me. It's not mine. I'm not taking it with me. I'm going to go make friends for God's kingdom. And it's incredible. And there's many people at this church, many of you, that do the exact same thing. You're generous with what you have. You're generous with your time, your money, your resources, your talents. And you go and do incredible things, making friends for the kingdom of God. And again, a lot of us question, is that really what we should spend our time doing, spending our our money, our resources doing? Let me just ask the hypothetical question. If you could guarantee you spent a few hundred dollars on somebody 
and it was guaranteed that they'd really, genuinely encounter Jesus and give their lives to him, would you do it? Yeah, you probably would. Now, I'm not going to guarantee that. I can't. That would be irresponsible of me. But what Jesus tells us is that when we use what God has given us, when we use the resources that are at our fingertips to make friends for the kingdom, some people will know God, will experience Jesus Christ in a new way, something simple. And this is a great, this is amazing. Because God's saying, I want you to come and partner with me. I want you get to participate in someone's salvation. You're not just there. It's not all just like it's all in God's control. And he doesn't let you be a part of it at all. No, he lets you be a part. He lets you participate. He says, use what I've given you. Make friends for my kingdom. That's amazing. You get to be a part of this process in people's life. Justin gets to be a part of the salvation of many lives. He gets to join in that. And by the way, we love to do ministry at Three Crosses this way. Because through your generosity and God's goodness to us, God has put us in a place where we get to do crazy, fun, unique things that a lot of people say, you can't do that at church? How do you do that? You look at our youth ministry, they get like giant inflatables and hang kids by climbing harness stuff from like ceilings and swing around and give kids amazing experiences where they encounter the Lord. Our children's ministry, we get to do fun things. We have a great facility where kids come in and they feel, I feel welcomed here. I feel loved here. This is a place for me where they get to experience God and they meet God. I can't tell you how exciting it is to be this is just a subtle plug to children's ministry. I can't tell you how exciting it is to be in there. The past couple of years, so many kids we've been hearing getting saved at home from, based on what they've been learning at church and all the things that have been going on in their lives and what God's doing, they get saved. I can't tell you how many baptisms we've had, increase in baptisms of kids that just say, I want to publicly declare my faith in the Lord. It's exciting. And in part, that's because as a church, we've been willing to invest time, money, resources into our kids. Something simple. Something simple that we get to be a part of. Our men's ministry. You saw the plug. We have our, the road crew dinner coming up. And there's a car show and a motorcycle show. It's crazy. Men, you can find the posters in the bathroom to find out more. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. And you think this is so elaborate and intense. Why We could spend our money. Else. But you know what? It works. I see people in this room that are one to the faith because they experience something, just an elaborate, fun thing that Pastor Mark puts on, and they meet the Lord. Our outreach musicals. You think about this stage. Right now it's got some drums and all these things. It's transformed regularly into some faraway land, into Narnia, into different things. It's hydraulic. I'm standing on a hydraulic lift that goes down like 10 or 20 feet. It's kind of crazy. And we use these resources to win people to the kingdom. And I think that's so elaborate. Ten thousands and thousands and thousands of people come through here and hear about Jesus because God has blessed us with resources like this, with a cast of over a hundred, where we get to put on these presentations, and share the gospel with people and use what we have in our fingers, and we love it. And so we think, and what about even the needy in our area? Well, just two weekends ago, I have some pictures of this, we invited families that didn't have enough 
didn't have enough to afford school supplies. And we had 350 kids got backpacks full of school supplies, simple stuff, a backpack, pencils, binders, paper, all those little things that they could not afford on their own. They could not afford them. And we got to bless them. And, they, and there's more, they're wrapped around the building. It was all free. We got them lunch and all these things. And here's the thing. 335 kids, 291 of them said they wanted more information about what happens up here at Three Crosses because they were blessed by what happened. They're not connected here. They don't go here. 291 new kids said, I want to know what's going on. And those 291 kids represent 129 families. So this tiny investment, really, an investment that most of us don't even think about, school supplies and a backpack and a hot dog and some other fun things for lunch. We have 129 families that might now be friend, want to be our friends and might want to and might experience the love of Jesus Christ and salvation and live with him forever and ever and ever because we, as a church, we're willing to give them something that's available to us. That's incredible. I was just blown away. I was standing at the response table letting people come in and say, if you want, oh, do you want more information? And honestly, if I'm honest with you, I thought I would get, I would be really fortunate to get 20 people. 291 kids representing 129 families said they want to know more. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's amazing. It's incredible. And we do all these things. We use these resources in a different way than the manager. The manager used what was at his disposal to land on his feet, to take care of himself. We don't do it for that reason. We don't do it so we feel good and we feel nice. We do it because out of a genuine love for others, that they would experience God and they would know Christ. And we do it out of a deep, heartfelt gratitude towards our Savior. That our God, Christ, the Lord, would humble himself, would leave the glory and comfort of heaven, and would humble himself and become a child, and would live among us a perfect life, that he would die on the cross for our sins and rise again, guaranteeing his promise for forgiveness and life. We have a God that loves us and cares for us, and that's why we do everything that we do. We don't do it for ourselves. We don't do it so we land on our feet. We don't do it so we feel good. We do it because we love others and we, have, we are indebted. We have a great gratitude towards Jesus Christ. And the other thing too, the manager expected something in return. We don't expect anything in return. We're not in this for what we get. And one day, we will get something. We get to be, celebrate with those people. They'll welcome us in. Those friends will welcome us in. And that will be a great and glorious day to celebrate with those, those people. But it's not about what we do. I love how Jesus sums this up. He wraps it all up. Verse 10 through 12. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? 
No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We've been talking a lot about money, but it's not really about money. We need to serve God and not money. We need to serve God, not money. We need to serve God in everything we do. And so we need to look at our own hearts because we can be like that dishonest manager when we believe I've earned what I have and it belongs to me because it simply isn't true. It's good to work hard. It's good to go and pursue things. It's good to earn. It's good. But when you start to believe that it's yours, that it belongs to you, and that you earned it all by yourself, we're fooling ourselves. We're fooling ourselves. And we can become dishonest managers when we think it belongs to us, so we're keeping it to ourselves instead of using it to bless other people and win friends to the kingdom of God. And so, use what you have to grow God's kingdom. Use what you have, whatever you have. Money, time, resources, stuff. Use what you have, what God has blessed you with, to grow God's kingdom. I think about Justin and all those guys that, he's had, that God's allowed him to participate in their salvation. And one day, Justin will enter into the gates of heaven, and those guys will be there welcoming him, celebrating with him, praising God for what he allowed Justin to be a part of. And we can be a part of that too. That is what we have in store for us. So use what you have to glorify God and to win friends to his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all, we thank you for these parables. We thank you for these stories. We thank you for what you've given us in your word to remind us of our place, to remind us of who you are, to remind us of how great you are. Lord, that you would allow us to be, participate in the salvation of others, that you would give us resources to win friends to your kingdom. And Lord, I know that there's many people in here that have been won, been made friends to your kingdom by the generosity of others. And Lord, there's even some that, that's where they're, they're in process, that someone is being generous to them and they're experiencing your love. And so, Lord, I pray that those would give their hearts to you and they would become part of your kingdom. Lord, help us to not hold on too tightly to the things that we have because, Lord, ultimately they're from you and ultimately they, belong, they are going to stay in this world. They will not come with us. So let us use everything at our disposal to win friends to your kingdom. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.